Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and Lewis Hamilton wiped out bad memories from the Austrian Grand Prix by winning the inaugural Styrian Grand Prix. His Sunday afternoon was relatively straightforward, but Saturday was anything but with a stunning pole position lap in wet conditions, reminding everyone why he's an all-time great. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to look back on the weekend are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Uh, Mark, how did you enjoy your uh, your Groundhog Day of a, of a Grand Prix weekend, I guess this was? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit surreal being in the same place uh, you know, two, two consecutive weekends, but uh, a very different race, um, very different event. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I'm glad we're not doing a third one here. There was a rumor going around that we're going to do a third one here and not go to Hungary. So I'm glad that's not the case, even though uh, the uh, restrictions upon us in Hungary are quite severe. Yeah, you won't be getting out and seeing the sights. Not that you were doing that really here, but at least you could go for a bit of a, a wander around. Yeah, quite. Um, if you try that in Budapest, it's on pain of arrest and a fifteen thousand euro fine and a little term in the police cell. So uh, probably best not do that. Definitely play it safe, uh, Scott Mitchell. Obviously, you're playing it safe in your uh, front room in, in Stockholm. Obviously, like myself, you're again remote covering this Grand Prix. It's uh, it's it's amazing how busy it is. Actually, isn't it? You 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 almost feel like there might be more more downtime, but it's just it's relentless because there's so much going on, which is good news for F1. Oh yeah, when 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 it gets when it gets started, it's um, it's not that it's no different, as you say. It's almost it almost feels busier because, um, I think we might have talked about this on the previous podcast, but like the teams, to be fair to them, have have made people available. We've we've actually got, I think, more uh, team personnel time on a Sunday after a race than we than we ever did last year. So even though it's all happening over Zoom calls and Microsoft team meetings and stuff like this, uh, it, it's still really valuable. So once you get into the, the cut and thrust of it all, it's really hectic, but it is um, it is a lot easier when you don't have to commute to and from the circuit. Let's put it that way. Yeah, of course, the downside is we can't go chasing people around the paddock, the uh, which which is the, the way we get much news. But it is what it is, and there's good reasons for it. So let's crack on with uh, with the race. Mark, it was it was relatively straightforward at the front. Lewis Hamilton leading from start to finish, basically. Valtteri Bottas working his way through Carlos Sainz early on and Max Verstappen late on. So was it as straightforward as it looks? Uh, yes, it was, really. Um, it was made more straightforward for Lewis by Max, uh, clattering over the turn nine curbs and... And quite early in the race, and causing a front a bit of um, front wing damage, and a bit of wing coming off and catching in itself in the barge boards, and then going back and doing further damage on the rear wing. So quite a bit of aero damage on the Red Bull, which just made it more inevitable that Lewis was going to um, beat it quite comfortably. It, it <clears throat> impacted a little bit on the on the performance itself of, of the car, um, but it also impacted upon how heavily it was working its rear tyres. And so um, that made it uh, not only easier for Lewis to win, but for Mercedes to use Bottas to sort of put a um, a strategic scissor movement on him, uh, which gave Bottas the newer tyres in the last stint of the race, which enabled him to catch and pass what was by then a very, very old and struggling Red Bull. but even even that old, tired, and struggling Red Bull was a long, long way clear of Class B. So um, yeah, there's, there's still there's still a bit of a chasm there. Um, but it's yeah, I mean, I think I think the picture will be quite different in Hungary. The demands there are, are quite different, and the. 
bits that we've seen the Red Bull is particularly good at um, should be more heavily rewarded in Hungary, and the bits where it's a bit weak, uh, not not as hardly, not as um, not punished quite so hard. But it is very much kind of confirmation this weekend that as we as we expected, Mercedes is in a strong position. They've certainly not not dropped the ball, have they, Scott? You know, Mercedes was the fastest car, and this weekend they had none of those concerns and crisis management things they were doing in the race to ensure they got home. It was quite a remarkable turnaround, wasn't it, from from seven days ago in terms of uh, how much uh, nearly every team had to worry about, I suppose. But obviously the headline one was Mercedes and how their new wiring looms would, would cope with the oscillations that the violent curbs of the, of the Red Bull ring provide. Um, Andrew Shovlin went, uh, said going into Sunday that, that Mercedes' concerns about reliability had gone down from 10 out of 10 last week to 4 or 5 out of 10 this week. Um, but Toto Wolff was still warning that they wouldn't be able to absolutely smash the curbs in the race. So it was it was a bit in, it was interesting to see how that was going to play out, but it never really felt like it was going to be a, a major factor, and, and so it proved. And all, all all the better for for Lewis Hamilton, who was uh, who was pretty pretty pleased after last weekend to have quite a a serene run through. To it wasn't quite uh, lights to flag, was it? Because obviously the the pit stop phase, but it was it was as good as that, and it was a, it was a, another pole position turned into victory. I think it would have been a different race had we had the really high temperatures that we saw on Friday when the Mercedes was struggling quite a lot on the soft tyre in particular and the Red Bull wasn't. Um, I think it would have been quite close then. And uh, with the Merck still with the edge on maybe on ultimate pace, but um, not able to use it quite for quite as long as the Red Bull. So um, there, there's another little factor that might um, come into play in Hungary as well. well these are the things that will start to to see as we go through varying conditions and track configurations that's the thing no no one circuit is representative but let's look at the real heart of the of the victory scott which was lewis hamilton's stunning pole position lap in in wet conditions 1.216 seconds faster than max verstappen it, it's not hyperbole to call that an all-time great pole lap is it no not at all it's the best pole position lap i've seen in my short time covering formula one i wasn't there when he put his uh pole lap in in singapore in 2018 um obviously i wasn't there to see this one in in person but i'm at least covering this event and it was it was phenomenal and actually having the, the time and the privilege almost to to dive into it properly and just how it was all managed between him and, and bono his engineer and just the execution of you know to do one lap that was miles clear of what anyone else had done at that time was one thing and then to to do it again. I mean, Lewis didn't know that he didn't need to set that lap to be on pole. So it wasn't just showboating, but it was almost exhibitionist, wasn't it, in, in its quality and just 1.2 seconds. As Toto Wolf said, sometimes you see stuff that just doesn't seem like it's of this world. And it was just it was just one of those things where you, it's really nice because a driver like Hamilton, six world titles, oh, can't even think how many blooming wins he's got now. But you just you do wonder with these drivers, like people get so sick and tired of the same person winning over and over again. You think that they lose the capacity to surprise with their brilliance. But I like to think that that this was a good example of Lewis finding a a different way to pull a rabbit out of a hat, shall we say? And the other thing was that that was great was that it was a proper wet qualifying session. By which I mean, often we see wet qualifying sessions that don't start until much later when it's almost at the point of going to intermediates. But this was wet throughout it did start to dry up a tiny bit but then it rained again so it's just these fantastic conditions and that's what what allows these drivers to show how good they are and do just impossible things connect collecting these snaps and managing the wheel spin and just so so busy avoiding traffic even down so i was watching the onboards kevin magnuson had a moment right at the end of q1 when he was following kimmy reichland down towards turn four and then suddenly out of nowhere there was this the other alpha barely moving the jink round, and that was because Giovinazzi had crashed, broken the rear 
rain light, but you can't see it until he's almost on top of it. And it just shows the reactions and the skill of these guys. Uh, you, Mark, uh, I think you tweeted about that that as an all-time great qualifying session or something like that, didn't you? So uh, it was just brilliant. It's everything you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I think uh, we get special thanks um, and appreciation to Michael Massey for making that call. And quite a brave call because responsibilities on him. Um, but yeah, the, the FIRA race director, Michael Massey, I think... Um, Called it absolutely perfectly, and the drivers um, really, really enjoyed it. And I mean, the, the, there were quite a few of them not afraid to admit it, they were scared, <laughs> but um, it was a, that sort of exciting, sort of scared. And uh, the, I think it was, yeah, it was one of the all-time um, great qualifying sessions. And um, I've I've seen every one of Hamilton's eighty-nine pole laps, and that was the best one. There's no question that was the best of them all. It was fantastic. Yeah, I certainly can't think of one that uh, that I put, put ahead of that one. It was because of the conditions, because people mock Formula 1 for being too cautious, but there are times when there is just too much standing water and, and you can't do it. But this was kind of at that point where it was just short of that. So, yeah, you had aquaplaning, but they they could drive, and that that's the perfect challenge. It's, it's almost, if you were to create the conditions in a in a, a sim racing's a bit a big thing at the moment, if you were to create your perfect conditions to make an exciting session, it would have been that. I, I I was I thought a really good example of sort of that really crazy thin line between sort of triumph and despair was the um I I, I think I sent you both the the video of it it's the 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 run Hamilton has up the hill I think before he sets his his uh his ultimate is uh, eventual pole lap and just as he approaches the kink up the up the hill on the run to turn three he obviously hits the river that's running across the track there that was catching a few drivers out. Um, and he has the almost, the almost almighty of snaps. And I don't think I was overplaying that when I shared it. I I was like, it, gen- it made me, because oh, I was watching the onboard, just watching his qualifying through and didn't know it was coming. And it, it made me jump when I was, when I was following his onboard. Heaven knows what that felt like behind the wheel. Yeah, one of those just moments where just that, sheer ability and skill but the amazing thing was how few drivers had offs when you consider the conditions we saw very very few huge huge mistakes just just an amazing display it just shows how good all of these drivers are we talk up hamilton for very good reasons but you know just to to drive a formula one car quickly in these conditions is enormously difficult which is why it's so much fun to uh to watch it well let, let's get back to the race i think before we drop into the mid well it is dropping into the midfield really but Mark, this was a weekend about damage limitation for Ferrari. It's battling to turn around this underperforming package. We talked about that last week. Sebastian Vettel taken out by Charles Leclerc on the first lap. It's the stuff of nightmares for Mattia Bonotto, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean it, it, he's he's got it, it's got the feeling of the you know the the, the the spinning clay pot sort of threatening to get out of shape and collapse, hasn't it? Everything's going wrong for it at the same time. Um, this is the second second time in four races that the two drivers have um, had an incident on track together. This one was clearly Leclerc's fault. As he held his hands up to it. It's no, you know, it's just a racing incident, really. But oh, just such awful timing, really, for the team. And um, it he did a brilliant job last week to pull a second place out of the hat in a car that didn't deserve it. But um, the 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 car probably could have got them valuable points this weekend if uh, he hadn't made that totally unnecessary move that was never going to work. Yeah, he sent himself up a cul-de-sac. It was a racing incident. It was a misjudgment on his part. So there's no question there being any penalty. You know, people can make mistakes, but he just sort of got sucked into it. It had a tiny bit in common with Vettel's mistake last week as well. It's just a thing you got you get sucked into. And I think it was a bit more, a little bit more conscious than that. But And then, of course, the driver that, it carried him into, of course, had to be Sebastian Vettel, isn't it? Just to think so. The thing I did like is that it was Leclerc's error, but to his credit, he got out of the car. He said, look, that's my fault, my error. I take responsibility for it. And, you know, he couldn't really do anything else. But we do sometimes see drivers, including the other driver in the incident, not being very keen to do that sometimes. So at least, at least he made some action to try and just turn the intensity down of the fallout a tiny bit. That's about the only... Uh, silver lining i would say even vettel sort of was quite magnanimous afterwards and said you know we gotta um not 
knock ourselves down too hard because it makes it harder to get back up, which is exactly the situation they're in. So yeah, the good thing for the good thing for Ferrari is that we've seen this throughout Leclerc's short F1 career. When he does make a mistake, he is very very good at holding his hands up, but not just doing it for the sake of uh, criticizing himself or to look good. He does take it on board. I don't think I've seen him make the same kind of mistake twice. He's very, very good at moving on from an error and making sure that he he doesn't fall into the same trap again. The bad news for Ferrari and Leclerc is uh, is that he probably will find himself in another position where he has to avoid making that mistake because I genuinely think that car could end up in the midfield at, at any given race over the next few weeks because it, 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 it just doesn't look very quick. What makes it even trickier is that it's um, a less competitive car in qualifying than it is in the race. Um, you know, Lando's commented a couple of times that they're definitely quicker than us in the race, quicker than the McLaren in the race. Um, but you know, they're definitely slower in qualifying because they don't really have an engine mode that they can use. So the fact that they're qualifying out of position lower than the level at which you can race, it, it almost it's almost the ideal scenario to get involved in incidents, isn't it? It's crazy because it's basically like the if you think at sort of Red, Red Bull's weakest moments through the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, it's a bit like that, except even worse in a straight line because or, or, or just worse a worse package overall because. When the Red Bull was sort of underpowered, it was always underpowered, but a sort of like third best, you know, sort of straddling between the biggest teams and and, and the midfield. It was never really in danger of falling into the clutches of those behind. So they would invariably qualify on the third row and then they'd have the faster car in the race. They'd have a better race car than a qualifying car. So they'd never be a contender on Saturday, but then they'd at least be sort of in the mix and snipe for a podium on Sunday, but the Ferrari's so far off that it doesn't just slip back to fifth and sixth, does it? It tumbles right down. Mm, that's right. It's it's smack bang in the middle of the midfield. It's it's sort of middle of class B, and then it's um, probably second fastest in class B, probably behind the racing point in the race. Um, so yeah, it's a bad combination. Well, in qualifying trim, it's it's a Q three marginal, isn't it? By which is proven by the fact they've been tenth and eleventh. This time it was Leclerc who was on the wrong side of that split. Last time it was Sebastian Vettel. So, yeah, really, really hard for Ferrari. It's it's a long way back for them, but they've got the extra trouble that if this was a normal year, they'd have next year in the new regulations, wouldn't they? But the regulations has been booted down the road 12 months to 2022. 2021 is now an extension of this year. So it's even though it's a condensed season, it's, it's like they've got a season and a half worth of time to battle through and they're going to have... 40 odd races to, to to go with this so that they've got to find a way to unlock more performance from it yeah and but the um the other thing is that the the engine restrictions now since uh they've you know we had this uh the pandemic restrictions that we've tried to um address the, the cost issues and, and bring them further forward so it's it's resulted in engine restrictions that weren't going to be there so um the do seem to have got themselves locked into a, a very, very tough position. So even going into next year and the year after, you'd, you'd think, well, if that, that basic inherent limitation and that freeze is still on the engine, it's going to be very tricky to develop your way around that. Yeah, they've basically got six months, haven't they, to to, to work out what the problem is and and get it sorted. Otherwise, it's going to be baked in for, what, four, four years? Because... They re-homologate the engines for the start of 2021, but then they're only allowed one in-season upgrade in 21, one in 22, and then none in 23 and 24. And that base homologation will carry through from the start of next year until the end of 24 at, at, at the earliest. So if Ferrari... I, I, it, given how far they are behind and what's gone wrong, and I, 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 I know why they're not fronting up to it because it would be an admission of guilt but it's clearly tied to everything that happened last year and has changed to this year I suspect Ferrari will hide behind something Bonotto said in December last year which was that they were going to um, they were going to 
make quite a few significant changes on the engine. And Bonotto, I think, at the time said, this is to prove that there are still gains to be made in this engine formula. And now, actually, with the benefit of hindsight, that looks like quite a convenient little thing to have thrown in it over the winter to sort of preempt the fact that something's changing and therefore you've got something to point to when it goes wrong. But if they're this far off, you look at how long it's taken Honda to cut back a deficit. I don't see how Ferrari can undo this in six months. No, and in fact, it could even be hard for them to do it to a good enough level to be sorted for for, for next year. So it could be a long old process because you know mastering these qualifying modes in a definitely legal manner, let's put it that way, it t- takes people a long time. And so they, they've been thrown back they've been set massively back by this and that, you can't really look past what's gone on with the engine and the and the rules and, and the agreement you know correlation doesn't always equal causation but uh sometimes correlation does indicate there's a there's a causal link there and i think it would be ridiculous and just require some tremendous mental gymnastics to try and get around what's a very very obvious conclusion but we need Ferrari to get themselves sorted out. It's no good having Ferrari not in the fight. They're capable of being up, up the front in terms of their resource. We want them to be. And also, we want the two Ferrari customer teams to have a chance because it's been a hard start to the year for Hassan Alpha as well. Um, I, I don't know whether or not, obviously, you can't say this with any absolute certainty, but the the, the big question, obviously, a lot, a lot of comments on social media uh every time now there's a Ferrari disaster story, whether it's a qualifying result or something someone says, the, you can see the pressures mounting on Mattia Bonotto. And and I, I really like Bonotto because I think he was really good with the media last year. I think he put a very, a much more sort of friendly, more human face on the organisation. But it's under his leadership there has been a significant downturn over the last 12 months. And I'd, I'd, I'd never advocate or campaign for someone to to, to lose their job obviously but he's now starting to look like a person massively under pressure I know he's well thought of within the Ferrari hierarchy so you'd hope that there's not going to be anything trigger happy but given the pressures that exist within Italy and what Maranello is normally like I mean is is it fair to say that this is a guy who is basically in a position at the moment where he is trying to, to to work out a solution to keep his job well, bloodletting is not uncommon at Marinello, but I'm sure he won't necessarily be thinking of it directly as save his job, but it'll be do his job and he saves his job, uh, isn't it? But ultimately, this is still the guy who was a big part of Ferrari taking a big leap forward previously. So, you know, this this is the problem with, with the kind of football manager mentality, isn't it? It's like, well, was he the really good guy he was 18 months ago or is the idiot he is today? It's like, well, nobody's nobody's a magic bullet. Nobody always gets it right. And not even Adrian Newey or Ross Brown or any of these guys. So they've got to stick with him. But you're right, that the whole way Ferrari can work, and this gets magnified in the bad times. It's all it's very easy for them to be, oh, we're all together when things are going pretty well, but it's much harder when it's when things are like this. So I do fear they could uh, risk casting themselves into greater trouble if they are to go down the bloodletting route. The, the one thing I would say that may make it not quite as uh, difficult from as um, previous Ferrari team principles is that it's not so directly linked to fiat now. There's still a fiat link, but there's it, it, there's um, an investment group that owns two different entities. and um, So it, you don't have the direct sort of uh, managerial interference from one automotive into the race team as you did before, but that's still... You know, it's still there will be some accountability at some level. I just don't think it's he's going to be internally under as much pressure as previous uh, occupants of of that uh, title. Yeah, that's uh, certainly a, a difference that could that could change things somewhat. But one thing's for sure: Ferrari can't afford to dwell in the midfield for too long, or or things will start to uh, to change and heads might roll. But let's let's talk about the midfield that actually made it beyond the end of lap one. Actually, Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc competed four laps, but in a hobbled state. So uh, just to include that for accuracy. Uh, obviously, this midfield pack is all quite intertwined. But let's start off, Scott, with Lando Norris, because he was the, the late race star once again. He was eighth at the start of the penultimate lap, and he came through to finish fifth. He did blot his copybook with that needless yellow flag offence on uh, on Friday that cost him three places on the grid. But he also had to battle against serious discomforts. So this was another fine performance for him, wasn't it? Yeah, Norris is Norris is becoming a driver who 
because he's young and he's still quite inexperienced, he he does have the odd sort of lapse of concentration in him where you just think, oh, that's a bit of a frustrating mistake or something's not executed as well as it probably should be or could be. But my word is he getting really, really good at executing it when it matters. He just gets a sniff of something and just it's just relentless. And his opportunism uh, on a day where he had made life harder for himself and physically things were being made harder for him as well. The race wasn't, the race was sort of went in his favour in the sense that, you know, McLaren's botched pit stop hurt Carlos Sainz. So Norris inherited a place there and blah, blah, blah. But he, he was just sort of like quietly going about putting together a really good race or a perfectly good race rather. And then when the opportunity arose to make it really good and then great, he, he he snatched it and you know McLaren played their part as well there was another good bit of coaching on the final lap like there was with his barnstorming final lap last week to snatch a podium but you still got to be the you still got to have someone behind the wheel that can do it and 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 yet again Norris has proven he's up to the task yeah and it's given McLaren a hat full of points as well because Carlos Sainz performed very well that superb third place uh, in qualifying, ended up ended up ninth in the race, which is unfortunate because of that slow pit stop you referenced. But McLaren up in second in the constructors' championship, so it's been a great start for them, hasn't it, Mark? They'll be really pleased with the fact that despite that pit stop blunder, they are like Norris; they're executing things well, and they they didn't always do that one hundred percent of the time last year, did they? No, that's true. Um, they're executing very well. They don't have. Uh, they're, they're punching above the weight in terms of the results versus the actual level. And um, the Red Bull Ring is a circuit that has traditionally suited their car. And you probably won't see quite the same um, competitiveness in Budapest. This is what they believe anyway. Um, but all the same, they are executing very well. They've got two superb drivers and it, it's notable that that car seems to be much more competitive on low tanks towards the end of the race than it is at the beginning, um, which means that it's qualifying out of position and then sort of getting in the way of the the, the, the Red Bulls and the, the you know the out of position Mercs in the early laps, and it quickly gets disposed of and gets left well behind. But by the end of the race on low tanks, um, you know, getting back to the sort of qualifying level of um, you know, trim it. It's uh, it, it comes alive, and um, yeah, you, you saw that with both drivers. You saw that with uh, Sainz's fastest lap and uh, Lando's last. Um, you know, I think he put three positions in the last two laps and taking advantage of all the commotion around him. And his his confidence is flowered, flowering this year, and it's um, he's, he's it's like he's really beginning now to feel properly at home in F one. And uh, yeah, he's still learning a little bit, and uh, he's still prone to the odd error but his confidence is very much there now and I didn't sense that it always was last year. Yeah I think he had little moments where he he felt he let himself down a bit but he's a he was a rookie last year so that that would happen but yeah I mean McLaren have already pocketed 39 points which is you know that's a huge thing to do you talk about qualifying out of position and getting track position but straight away two races in they they've almost well they've got better track position in the constructors championship than they should have which which does make a difference because that means that if they go to Hungary and they can only be ninth and tenth or eighth and ninth that's not really a problem they can say well we're not great around here bank a few more points but because we've nailed it when we when we had the chance then we, we put ourselves in this position and we can't say that about some of the other midfield rivals should we say obviously like I say it's a big it's kind of quite a big mess this part of the field, but we had the the racing points were in there. I almost called them Force Indias, but managed to stop myself there. We had the racing points, we had the Renaults, as well as the McLarens, and the, the Ferraris should have been there, but disappeared. And then AlphaTauri sort of trying to hang on at the back, but not quite managing to to do so. Gazi was in amongst them early on, but obviously the, the the interest in the race was Sergio Perez's drive in the end chasing down. Alex Albon and, and Perez did have the the Class B battle, if you like, one before that. It looked. At one stage, it looked inevitable, like he'd pass Albon, but then he kind of lost that momentum when he got held up by uh, by George Russell in turn one as he was closing in on him, and then we had this late uh, late clash. So, how would you view Perez's drive? Should he be happy to have salvaged sixth, or is it just another missed opportunity for Racing Point? I think Perez will probably um, 
be frustrated at the end of the day because he, he definitely lost one place. He may have lost two. Uh, I think the um, Alban was clearly struggling for the first half of the race. He was about a second off the pace for some reason, and he doesn't sound entirely sure why. Um, he get he got into the the rhythm of it late in the race when it was again low on fuel and when it was a fresh set of tyres. He, he sort of started upping the pace a bit. <clears throat> but all the same, when you sort of do the comparison of how much performance was missing from Verstappen's car, uh, a racing point, even though it's clearly the fastest car in, in Class B, shouldn't shouldn't be able to challenge um, a Red Bull. So I think Albon's got to be looking at himself and finding out what it is that's that's just not gelling for him because um, that that's you know that he was too far off Max this weekend um, to be to be comfortable with himself and um, he, he almost got taken by Perez and it was a great drive by Perez but it was Perez was always going to be coming through the field because he qualified way down you know, considering the. Uh, potential of the car and it, it just <clears throat> seemed a bit too stiff in the wet and wasn't switching on its tyres very well um, but he was always going to be coming through because it is a, um, a, a super fast car in, in that part of the grid in which it's competing Yeah and he had some uh, some great great moments in the race, he came through from 17th on the grid, as you say great pass on, on Sainz after Sainz's outlap and it looked like Sainz had got past him and he went around the outside of him at, uh, at turn 6 I don't think we heard it on the thing, but he, he asked over the radio after that move. I was watching on board with him. He, he asked the the pit wall, uh, "Did you like that one?" Or words to that effect. He was very, very, very pleased. But the other thing he did, which wasn't seen so much, is after he'd had that clash with Alban, which you know, it it, it happens. It's he, he will be irritated at, but he had the damaged front wing, and actually he was as he approached turn nine, he was given the instruction to box box. And it kind of went box, box, and then there was a bit of hesitation, and then the engineer said, oh, if you've got front wing damage. But Perez decided to stay out, which was the right thing to do, because he didn't have very far to go. And then he was asking for the gap to those behind. So actually, I would say, while Perez, yes, he made the error while he was trying to pass Albon, and that cost him, he he then didn't compound that by losing his head he realized yeah i've got damage but there's no point in pitting at this stage i might as well just try and get around the track and very very easy around there to compound damage of your wing if you hit the curb or whatever so i'll give him credit for doing that and then he obviously he norris got in but he, he held off stroll and ricardo in that mad dash to the uh to the line but what do you think scott i mean racing point they came away with sixth and seventh stroll survived that uh that steward's inquiry as it were into that movie made on ricardo late on which uh, Norris was able to take advantage of but do you think Racing Point will be happy about this it's a good salvage job from where they were on the grid but they've come away from Austria with two sixth places and one seventh place over the two weekends which is it's fine but it's not maximizing like we said McLaren have managed to do and they've come away with a protest as well which obviously I'm I'm sure we'll get into in a bit but it has been a I would say of those of those factors they probably would have expected a protest i think they would have expected better than the results that they got i was just having a look actually at the um at the points and it's like it's such it's it, it, it's testament to, to how odd the first two rounds have been but sergio perez is fifth in the drivers championship with 16 points this time last year you'd absolutely take a pair of uh eight point hauls from each of the two races but it was underwhelming in race one because it just wasn't, they just didn't put it all together in the way that their rivals did. And then in race two, obviously, qualifying's qualifying, as you say, done a very good job to fight back. But then it's just a, a, a needless setback that's cost them points. And then Stroll's obviously misjudged his attempt to pass Ricardo, gained a place and then lost a place as a result of it, it's just, it's not really like, it's not really the the, the team that we, we've become associated with Team Silverstone, is it? I, it's very difficult to know how to characterise that because it, it quite literally isn't the team it used to be. Um, but Force India was always so, so good on those, you know, it, it had so many day of days, didn't it, where where you got that opportunity to maximise the result. And it was always, you could you could almost, you could 
almost bet your house on it being Perez and Force India that did the job. And they've got, you know, they've come away with perfectly respectable results, as I said, but it it just doesn't feel like they've maximised it in this sort of racing point world. Yeah, you're right that they can look at it as if that's a bit of a disappointing couple of weekends. They've still got a decent number of points, but they can definitely do better. And obviously they missed out with Perez last weekend without taking the softs and then could potentially, had he had he obeyed that 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 uh, suggestion to pit, that instruction to pit, that could have cost him him more. But still, the car pace is good. Well, before we talk, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Renault in a minute, but we should talk about that protest uh, you referenced. Now, Renault protested Racing Point after the race. They've kicked that can down the, down the road, as it were, the stewards, and probably rightly so, so we won't have a verdict for a while. I don't want to get into it in too much depth because we have talked about the pink Mercedes quite a bit in previous podcasts, but what exactly is the latest? What's the situation with this particular protest? Uh, as, as expected, a protest has been lodged using uh, Formula One's listed parts rules as the reason but what's specifically been protested on this occasion, the stewards have revealed, are the front and rear brake ducts on the uh, on on the racing point, and they have now been uh, they've now been impounded, and Mercedes have been ordered to provide the front and rear brake ducts of their 2019 car, which is obviously the inspiration for the 2020 racing point. Um, so this is now going to be investigated thoroughly by the FIA. And then a, a report will be put together, recommendations will be put together, and it'll all be heard further down the line. I, it's, it's very interesting, this, the brake ducts, because we were sort of having a bit of a chat about this earlier, weren't we, Ed? Um, the brake ducts being something that, 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 were, that were previously allowed to be taken from another team. They wouldn't, I believe, the non-listed parts that have become listed parts for, for this year, if I'm characterising that correctly, because these rules always confuse me. Um, so... Maybe that's something that Renault has sort of spotted some kind of technicality to take advantage of. Maybe it's something else that makes the brake ducts something that is, for another for another reason entirely, is worthwhile pinpointing as an area of contention under these rules. But it basically boils down to the fact that Renault's accused Racing Point of a specific part of their car not being actually designed by Racing Point. I guess they had to pick some parts to, to focus on, or maybe the brake ducts if they're... I'm not sure how, how similar they are to last year's ones that Racing Point used. Could be a way to to prove a, prove a link, but obviously there's nothing wrong with doing what Racing Point say they've done, which is that they photographed the car extensively, done their best guess, and then just sort of worked on it a bit in the in the wind tunnel in CFD. Uh, quickly, Mark, what's your gut feeling on this? Do you think this will go anywhere? Yeah, I think it'll probably go somewhere. I think it'll somewhere down the line. Um, there will um, be some sort of penalty. I don't think it's going to be as fundamental a one as Renault might hope, uh, because there, there is a you know it's not the time to be as Formula One's trying to um, keep everything moving forward. It's it's not a time to be doing disqualifications and um, <laughs> telling people that their cars aren't legal um, that that that, are, that they can't do anything about now. I think there'll be a general will to sort of um, get if some letter of the regulation has been broken, then obviously that it has has to be some sort of penalty. And it sounds as though it may have been inadvertent by the sound of it um, because of a change in regulation. And yeah, I suspect there will be a penalty, but hopefully not um, not one that's that, that that's going to uh, sort of fundamentally alter the competitiveness of the of their car yeah i mean the the extreme penalty would be only if they've been found to have kind of been given all the cad for the car or uh, it's not specifically said in the regs but i think it's felt that if if for example racing point were to scan the natural mercedes to get their their design data from that way that wouldn't be allowed but as long as they've done it the way they they said it and it could come down to like you say some of those technicalities but th- this is something i'm sure we'll talk about a lot we'll certainly talk about it on the gary anderson f1 show uh, which will be out in the week so uh head there for a little bit more on this and then we'll come back to it let's come back to the race and look at renault's actual performance again now we talk about racing point not not really achieving what they should have done but renault once again comes away with one car retired one car in eight this time it's daniel ricardo who was eighth rather than esteban ocon disappointing again mark isn't it for renault yeah and a bit a repeat of the uh, issue they had at the last race a cooling issue which they thought they'd fixed 
So, uh, yeah, disappointing. And also there was a little bit of uh, inter-team rivalry as they were on different tie strategies. Essentially, Ocon was holding Kiadi up and had he not lost that time, he might not have been involved in the, the stroll thing later on. So, yeah, it, it's not it's not really functioning as as you'd expect that team to because it's usually quite a sharp little team um even when it's cars not the the cutting edge of, of competitiveness it's it, it's usually a very very together team operationally and um it again it's a bit like racing point um it it's almost as though they're adapting to a a, a new situation and haven't really found their feet yet initially in the first stint Ocon ahead of Ricardo was fine because Ocon was sort of sat on the back of uh, of Sainz ahead, so he wasn't or Albon ahead, Sainz ahead in the end, wasn't it? Uh, but he wasn't going to be going anywhere. But then once that that tire switch around came with uh, with Ricardo's mediums being better than the softs, they should have been faster. But uh, I do want to give Ocon a bit of um, extra credit for his qualifying performance. He was fifth in the end, but he he was in the mix for third. He had he had quite a big moment in the slippery last sector on his on his last run, but he was on used wets, and I thought he drove really beautifully during qualifying. So it's good to see him, even if it wasn't in dry conditions, showing uh, showing what he could do uh, do there. But yeah, the the Renault has got pace and performance, hasn't it? But it, it it's struggling to kind of consistently deploy that and to get to the end of races, which is pretty bad news, isn't it, Scott? You know, there's a high bar in the midfield at the moment. And Renault could very easily find itself, you know, down in hanging around in six in the constructors championship, which is the last thing it needs. Uh, that that is true, and it is a bad start to the season statistically. They think they've got uh, eight points to, um, you know, racing point, and McLaren have obviously bagged considerably more than that. But considering I'm normally very critical of Renault, I'm willing to. I'm willing to be optimistic for them on this occasion because prior to this double header, do you know what the best result for a Renault was at the Red Bull ring since the works team rejoined? Oh, it's been pretty bad, hasn't it? It's been very, it's been a dreadful place for them to go. They, 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 they hadn't scored a point at the Red Bull ring before last week. Uh, their best result was 11th for Jolie and Palmer uh, in, I think that was 2017. And then I think they had a trio of 12th place finishes Palmer in 16, it would have been Sainz in 17 and then uh, in 18, sorry, and then Ricardo last year. Um, so it is not a friendly circuit for, for Renault inherently. You know how obviously no no two cars one season to the next are the same unless it's a Mercedes and a racing point, but th- there are characteristics, aren't there, built into these cars and that's why some cars go really strongly at some circuits and, and tend to struggle at others and if you're looking at it optimistically from a Renault point of view they might well take some heart from the fact that this place that has been so fundamentally poor for them in recent years actually they managed to salvage some points from and, and Ocon said that this was the circuit they were fearing the most so it might well be we go to Hungary and it's a bigger test but the flip side of that is that means that there's a lot of pressure on them now to actually go to Hungary and be best of the rest or at least much more competitive. But at the same time, with your your generous interpretation there, the car pace wasn't too bad. It was reliability and other aspects. So that that's my kind of concern for them, that that they had had the speed to be in, in the midst of that fight and do better. I mean, obviously, Ricardo had that problem with Stroll dive-bombing him and, and Stroll really did spend too long sat behind by Ricardo. So that that's the question for them. I, I think what I what we need to see from Renault is that they can execute with two cars because that's what's going to need to happen because the difference between doing that and not doing that in this tight pack is going to be huge. Well do you know what the problem was for for, for Ocon or what the, the it looks like the likely problem it was, was. cool it was cooling related. That's yeah that's and what it, said. it seems to be it seems to be related to a radiator problem that basically last weekend um, was Ricardo, wasn't it, who who failed to finish, and that was they discovered a crack on one of the uh, they discovered a crack on the radiator, and they basically went to really extreme lengths. They sent all of their radiators back to the factory 
they managed basically a bit of logistics magic from Formula One because they didn't need to be um, the parts didn't need to be quarantined on arrival, so they could be sent back. And they checked every single one, didn't find any problems, sent them back, and it seems that the same problems happened, but on the other car on this occasion. And Cyril Abitable was really downbeat in the Renault press release when he was like, "We we thought we checked this properly, and somehow we've missed something because it looks like it's the same thing." and that's not a good sign, is it? If you've pulled out all the stops to, to to do quite a significant evaluation, and you've still dropped the ball, yeah, that's the worry. And it's strange, is that you know it's, it's it's fundamentally a good team of good people, so you'd expect them to get on top of that, but they're just not quite on on that upward curve. But you know, coming back to the, the wider midfield, so we had Perez in sixth place, Lance Stroll seventh, Daniel Ricciardo eighth, Carlos Sainz ninth. Of course, Sainz was very unfortunate to lose that. Uh, uh, quite a bit of track position through the uh, the slow pit stop. Daniel Kvyat got a point for for tenth place. He uh, hung on in there in the in the Alpha Tauri, which was a decent result for him. It's been not too bad for Alpha Tauri to get points in both the first two races, Mark. But that car's sort of it's it's not quite in that midfield pack, is it? It's sort of on its own, hanging on to the the back of it. Yeah, it's in a no man's land. It, it it doesn't quite get onto the back of that pack, and it's it's usually quite comfortably clear of the Alpha and Williams. So, yeah, it's really just a battle between their two drivers. And it looked like Gasly had the edge in terms of performance, but his race didn't go well. So, uh, yeah, well done for Daniel for uh, grabbing the point. Yeah, Gasly got a clout from Ricardo at turn one on the first lap, and that seemed to hold him back, and that led to him chewing up the tyres quicker. So, you know, promising position, but just race unravel, and he finished down in, in 15th. Place. We saw a pretty decent race from Kimi Raikkonen, actually. The Alpha's not uh, super quick, but he came through, ended up finishing 11th, was complaining about fuel saving. Uh, the Alpha very clearly is quicker in race trim than it is in in qualifying trim. And I guess, Scott, Alpha can be reasonably happy with that because they, they weren't going to be finishing better than 11th in, in that race. I mean, it's not it's not good to have not have a point-scoring car, but you know, that, as far as execution, that was all right, wasn't it? What engines the Alpha Romeo got? It's an Alfa Romeo engine, surely. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called Alfa Romeo. It would be mad. It's, not, it's not powered by a wristwatch, is it? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Is it Tag Heuer? I don't know. It's not, it's not a coincidence, is it, that it's another car that's faster in race trim, another Ferrari engine car faster in race trim than it is in, in qualifying. And while the, the midfield is it's definitely not a Class A and a Class B, is it now? It's, it's, it's a Class A, Class B and Class C. And... The Alpha in qualifying is firmly in 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 Class C, and but maybe maybe that division isn't quite as pronounced in the race. So it does actually have on on Sundays. It does seem to have a car that might be able to to sort of blur the lines between the two, but in similar fashion to what we were talking about with Ferrari if the field's that close and it's that competitive and you do have a straight line speed deficit, even if it's more pronounced in qualifying modes, how are you meant to make the progress? Uh, You're just going to be qualifying 16th and 17th in in an Alfa Romeo and even a really good race is only going to get you onto the fringes of the points, which is what happened with Raikkonen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's that's the fear they'll they'll be facing. Giovinazzi was down in 14th place because he had that off in uh, in Q1 towards the end that caused... uh, caused sorts of uh, confusion at the end of the session but yeah Alfa Romeo had the two Hasses behind him Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean Hass obviously had a weekend where they were concerned about the, the brake overheating problems they'd had the weekend before they got that kind of under control but it's, it's costing them some performance but I think considering where they were 12th and 13th for Magnussen and Grosjean on the tail of Raikkonen constitutes actually a pretty good uh, weekend for them but with no upgrades coming it looks like it's going to be a, a long old season for them it, it's worth talking about Williams as well because George Russell put in this great qualifying performance 12th fastest in qualifying started 11th Nicholas Latifi actually had the pace to get into Q2s, thwarted by yellow flags and red flags. Uh, but that's that's the sort of first time Latifi has, has caught the eye in, in his very short Formula One career. But the strange thing for Williams is that they, they've got a, a handy car in, in qualifying. I'm talking more about the dry qualifying pace rather than wet. But they are still the slowest in the race. So uh, in terms of the race they had, Mark, obviously George Russell tried to hang around the outside of, of Magnussen at turn six and ploughed through the gravel, which he's very un- apologetic, very apologetic about. Um, 
do you want to read too much into that? It didn't really cost. It didn't cost Russell a shot at points. He was probably going to finish sixteenth anyway, wasn't he? But he'll, he'll be kicking himself for that mistake when he had a bit of a platform to to show off his skills on. Yeah, I think it just he was in the mood for you know gambling because he'd had that great qualifying outcome. Um, he was only going to go backwards from there because the cars was way out of position. He did a brilliant job with it. Um, although it seems it, its relative competitiveness is is better in the wet than the, the dry, but he really did um, uh, squeeze a great lap out of it. Um, so you know there was nothing to lose. He was he, he, he was battling a faster car. He was probably going to finish behind it, um, but you know why not? If, if if the move had if it had come off, it would have it would have been a great move. And uh, he needs really to be demonstrating his potential rather than um, thinking too much about whether he's getting going to get it 13th rather than 14th or you know he's, he's more I think if he can put up a, a few eye-catching moves at this point in his career it's it's going to be more valuable than the actual uh, minor, minor statistics. Yeah, I did ask him about it after the race, and he said that uh, he was trying to be very positive and attacking. He was attacking people like Norris and and Stroll. He had a good run through the first corner. Uh, I think he briefly got up as high as ninth on, on that first lap. So, yeah, ultimately hasn't really cost him. But, yeah, he, he said that this is really – this is his first time racing properly in Formula 1 because last season was so ridiculous with how slow the Williams was. So, yeah, to be uh, to be expected in uh, in, in many ways. Uh, well, I think we pretty much run through everyone. We should mention Carlos Sainz, of course, got the uh, got the fastest lap. Uh, he took that free pit stop at the end that I, I so hate people doing to get the uh, point. Absolutely right to do it, but why have a point for fastest lap? But that's an argument for uh, for another day that's, uh, that I will have. And it'll be on to the Hungaroring. Um, Mark, you're heading that way. Budapest's not too far away, but it is... It's going to be a completely different challenge, isn't it? It's another relatively short and sharp circuit, but a very, very different one in terms of the challenges and configuration and, and what it asks of cars. Yeah, um, long corners, which, uh, you know, the the, the, um, the the sort of corners that you have, uh, the A1 ring, uh, the, the, sorry, the Red Bull ring, um, the, there's a great variation in them. You've got the fast sweeps of the middle section and you've got the slow turns one, three, four, you know, um, which is uh, exposes a problem with um, certain cars. They're all very similar speeds of corners at uh, Hungara Ring, so uh, easier in some respects in in terms of um, setups. I think will it's less um, power sensitive. It's more downforce sensitive. So in theory, that should give us a closer match between the Mercedes and the Red Bull. Um, the Red Bull was actually quicker than the Mercedes through the slow corners consistently this weekend. Um, so yeah, let's let's see. It's, uh, I'm quite hopeful, and um, it, if we get the sort of high track temperatures that we very often do get in Budapest, um, it might just pull Mercedes back enough to give us uh, a bit more intense competition at the front of the field. Yeah, there's definitely still some real fighting to be done this season we can't assume Mercedes is going to walk it just because they've got two victories and it's just great to be racing again and uh, yeah hopefully things go well in uh, Budapest and you're not in prison come uh, come race day for uh, for heading out to I don't know buy a, buy a packet of biscuits or whatever it is you get up to when you're not at the, at the circuit <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Scott looks you. like he's about to weigh in no, I was just going to say yes I too hope that our colleague and friend doesn't end up in prison <laughs> <laughs> What is such an odd thing to have to specify? <laughs> I'm just reminding him to be cautious. Don't want him to be fined. Don't want him to end up in prison. It's no good if we're here and we're saying, well, Mark Hughes is in prison. He should have listened better, shouldn't he? So there we go. <laughs> try, try and be careful. Anyway, um, while you're not in prison, you will be writing all sorts of things for the race website, as will Scott and myself. So do head to the race.com to read what we all have to say. And Gary Anderson, of course, as well head to our youtube channel as well we've got loads going on there do subscribe to the gary anderson f1 show podcast as well because we'll be talking probably about the racing point thing uh, later in the week so thanks very much for listening to our ramblings and with races coming thick and fast we'll be back from the hungaroring this time next week